Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... As that saying goes, if you do a job you love, you won't work a day in your life. And I can honestly say when I'm at my little harborside studio with the radio on, hand-tempering my chocolate, I really still feel pure joy every day. While Rebecca Knights had achieved great success in the UK with her handmade artisanal ethically sourced chocolate company, Coco Chocolate, with two stores in Edinburgh and a successful contract supplying Harvey Nichols department stores with their in-house signature range chocolates, she returned to Australia with small children in tow to a very different landscape. She freely admits a few curveballs were thrown her way. But in part two, Rebecca reveals how she dug into her own store of resilience to navigate disasters and learn new tricks, as she puts it. And after leaving home at 16, having to fend for herself from then on, she says hard work never scared her. But it's the how she changed course several times in her business to develop new ways to expand, including creative chocolate collaborations with restaurateur Giovanni Pilou, the Art Gallery of New South Wales, and Brett Whiteley Muse Wendy Whiteley, and developing e-commerce channels that offers unique insights into the sort of grit and determination needed to sell a handmade food product in your own startup. Hope you enjoy part two of my chat with Rebecca Knights. Rebecca Knights, welcome back to part two. Thank you. What was your life like growing up? You said you left school and home at 16. I'm, I'm reading between the lines and thinking that must have been a bit tough. Yeah, so I originally, uh, until I was eight years old, grew up with my traditional family. So three siblings, my mum and dad at North Ride. But you can read between the lines, I'm 10 years younger than the oldest, and I'm seven years younger than the youngest. So, wasn't exactly planned. So, I was the great mistake already. And then at eight, my mum and dad got divorced, and my mum repartnered immediately. And that's when we moved to Bondi when I was eight years old. Who she partnered with had grown up children, and really, neither of them at that time, an eight year old, in a new marriage, you know, a new partnership they wanted to go forward was really never quite perfectly in the mix. So it was never brilliant. And then at 15, I guess a real impetus to to change. I was so lucky because I loved school, was good at school. So I was, you know, everything was okay. But at 15, they decided to go for a three-month European holiday and to check me into a hotel. What? At 15? Gosh. Yeah. So that then led to, you know, me not turning up to school, you know, a little bit. So you were sort of having a good time. Yeah, in that I had hotel. a good time. 
having a good time. Then one of my friend's parents found out and said, this is not on and made me move in with their family, which was interesting and fun. And I've got to thank, you know, my friend's mum forever. But by the time my mum and stepfather came back and I moved back in, it was just a, a different dynamic again. They also, it was the very, very start of year 11 and they made me change school. They wanted me to have a different friend set and home was not great. And I just thought it's time to go. Time to go. Mm. Yeah. Rebecca, you said earlier, you did always have this kind of burning ambition to start your own business, but where do you think the risk-taking came from? You said that sparked you off. You know, is it in your family? Are they entrepreneurs? Are they business people? Are they retailers? Uh, no, no one's no one's a retailer. My dad was a surveyor at the Department of Lands, so he always had that public stable job and he, you know, retired once he could retire and he had a great time, I don't think, ever working particularly too hard. My mum, she had a little art gallery in the Argyle Arts Centre at the Rocks for a while, but she was also a nurse. And so she was predominantly a nurse all, all the way through. But I knew with my background of always working from such a young age that I I could work hard. Hard work didn't scare me. And so often I'd think, well, if I could work this hard, I may as well work this hard for myself and see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. So when you did sort of start in chocolate and pursuing this dream, would you say it was a big vision or was it, oh, look, I'll just see how I go in chocolate. I'll make a couple of hundred bars. What's the worst that can happen? Or was it a big vision always? It was a big vision. I always thought this is going to work, you know. I I really did, but I did not know all the extra things that come in your path that make it hard, you know, harder to work. Edinburgh pretty much was relatively smooth sailing. The Edinburgh store worked well. Obviously, the Harvey Nils contract worked well. I had the Edinburgh Chocolate School. I opened a second store in Edinburgh in Broughton Street. So I was in Brunsfield and Broughton Street. The only thing that really got in my way there is Brunsfield, which is, you know, just like a suburb, uh, a very pretty suburb, but a small one high street suburb, another rival chocolate shop decided to open up opposite me on the other side of the road. So that was the only real thing that was a curveball in the UK. Australia was a different game. I came up against a lot of curveballs. Yeah. So tell us about some of those once you now, you've come back to Australia, you've started in Kirribilli, what, this is 2009? This would have been, yeah, 2010. When I arrived back, I had my daughter in 2008 and I was here. And then I was still managing the UK store. So, you know, I would, once nighttime started, I would get on the phones and try and keep the UK store opening. I would never do that again. I would advise everyone to sell because your manager at the time tells you what you want to hear. And you're so far away. You just actually have no control. You have no control and they weren't telling me things like they weren't paying the VAT until I got a very nasty letter from Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. And so I basically then had to sell the Edinburgh store to pay a tax bill because the manager wasn't paying the taxes. When did you get rid of that? I had to quickly sell Edinburgh as a fire sale to pay a tax bill. But here I opened up Curabilly 
And the first thing, the first disaster was all my stock coming molded. So I needed a kitchen, got the kitchen. And then I decided to expand and I had a store then in Mossman and a store in Willoughby. So I ended up having three stores. That didn't work for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, rather than being able to get on with doing things I enjoyed, like making the chocolate, designing the boxes, speaking to my customers, I was running around delivering change, it felt like, all the time. You know, every store was running out of change. So I was doing mundane tasks. The rental load was off the charts because I had the kitchen as well. So just to make the rent was a lot of money. And then I suddenly walked into legal action with one of the landlords who wanted to sell the building. And I had signed a long lease and they wanted me out and it turned into a three-year legal battle, which luckily I won. But it was a devastating three years that diverts a lot of money, a lot of headspace. And I just realised then, bring it back. Let's go back to the drawing board. I closed Mossman, closed Willoughby, brought it back to Curability and thought, right, I'll need to learn to expand in a different way. And that was then contacting David Jones. Yeah. So how hard was it to get stocked in David Jones and Harris Farm and some of those big distributors? They need lots of stock, I would imagine. And yet you had that Harvey Nicks kind of tick to your background. Yeah. So Harvey Nicks tick, you know, was a door opener. Absolutely. And then it also let us, you know, by now we went so green with bulk logistics, how to pack, how to to even, you know, send things so they arrive well. So I went into David, I got luckily a meeting at David Jones and went in and showed my product and talked about the story and they were fantastic. They were fantastic in promoting us, uh, giving us opportunities to go in and do tasting events and so forth. It was a different learning curve in learning about invoices and being paid and re I had never encountered that in the UK where you lose sections of money if you want to get paid. That was all new for me, but it was good. We, When COVID hit, it was pretty much the beginning of the end though, because we were a lot of the chocolate counters around and open food with COVID's now gone. So that has stalled. So hence then we had to approach someone else and I shop at Harris Farm. I'm a big fan of Harris Farm. So we're lucky enough to get a meeting with their gourmet buyer. And we've been in Harris Farm now ever since we had to chuck the chocolate counters at David Jones. Rebecca, are you still hand making your chocolate? How many people do you have employed? And are you still doing the beautiful artwork on the packaging? Yes. So I'm still there front and center, which I don't know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. I listened to show with Janine from Boost Juice and it really hit me that she said, if you're actually physically working in your business, it's not off the ground. It's not a success. You have to be on top to really grow it. And I'm still in it. I'm still grafting. So I totally understand where she is coming from and what she means. But I think now I've got to embrace the beauty of being small 
rather than being big. I've been burnt, but not in a tragic way, but I, my expansion plans were burnt down. Because of COVID, you mean? Well, because of the landlord dispute. That was the huge one. Now, you know, with COVID, but it was really the landlord dispute. It really knocked me for six that I didn't realise these curveballs that really are out of your control can yeah. come and sort of, you know, muck up your plans. <laughs> yeah. So would you say failure or coming close to failure is very close to the surface for a small startup? Definitely. But look, I've met people whose their trajectory has just gone up, 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 up. And wow, that's what's happened to them. And oh gosh, how terrific and good on them. It just hasn't been my road, you know. Mine have been ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But heaps of up. Did I ever want to go and work where I can have the radio on in the background? I can do it. Did I ever want to work in a studio where I've got a harbour view? I've got it. So just tell me briefly about that collaboration with Wendy Whiteley, the former wife of artist Brett Whiteley, of course. What happened there? Yes. So I was lucky enough uh, to start making chocolates for the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So they had the Archie Ball to separate the Archie Ball. I contacted the person there at the time was a fantastic woman called Hanalei and introduced myself and say, I make, you know, amazing chocolates and I'd love to make chocolates for you and for the art gallery. And then Katie, who was someone who worked there, she had actually come to me and said, we're doing events at the art gallery. Would you do an Easter event where we make edible Fabergé eggs and things like that? And so I said, yeah. And I said, I'll do the chocolates for the Archibald for free, just for two tickets to go into the Archibald as well. And obviously the Art Gallery of New South Wales has iconic Brett Whiteley paintings in there. And I've always been a Brett Whiteley fan. And then I saw online that Wendy Whiteley had done a collaboration with Age, which is a Sydney fantastic fashion boutique. And I thought, well, she's open to collaborations. So I thought I have to contact her and Kirribilli's right near Lavender Bay where her garden is. So first of all, I went around and I talked to her gardeners and so forth. Is there any way I could meet Wendy? And to cut a long story short, I was lucky enough to be invited over and I, and I said, Wendy, I'd love to collaborate using Brett Whiteley's paintings on the packaging and we'll make matching flavours and all the profits can go to the upkeep of the secret garden because I thought, you know, Wendy doesn't have to do anything and she certainly won't just hand over Brett Whiteley's renowned top three artworks to the local chocolatier for nothing. But I thought if we give all the money back to the upkeep of the garden, then it's a great thing all around. And she said, what's in it for you? I was going to say, what was in it for you? (laughs) Did you make any money out of it? No, we cover our costs, that's it. And then all the profits go to the secret garden. But for me, in my shop, I get to look at three of Brett Whiteley's iconic images in my packaging 
every day. And, I, and then we did another collaboration with Giovanni Pillu where he told me all the stories of Sardinia and so we did all Sardinian artworks. So I can go into my shop every day and I can look at the Whiteleys and look at what we've designed with Giovanni and, and I lo- just love having it all there. Yeah. When did you start selling online and how important is e-commerce to you now, particularly in lockdown and COVID pandemic times? So we started online pretty much immediately in the UK. So we already had a presence, which was great that it started back then because we got, you know, Coco Chocolate as Facebook and, you know, the website Coco Chocolate, whereas now I think we'd find that hard to to get and the Instagram handle and and so forth. Here now, obviously, we're online as well. It's imperative in COVID and straight after this podcast, I'm going to be running to the store and hand delivering the local ones and then delivering the rest by express post. We do do a chock and collect, but only for four hours, three days a week from the Kirribilli store. But of course, e-commerce and online uh, shopping allows us to go Australia Australia-wide to a market that we could never reach if we just relied on the Kirribilli store now. Yeah, so you're amazing. You obviously love giving back to the community as well. But look, we're coming to the end and I just wanted to ask you a couple of brief questions. They don't have to have long answers. Have you had time to develop a business motto? I would say just put the sign up on the door and then you're too busy to worry about anything else. What are you obsessed about at the moment, be it a cause, a film, a book, a taste? I'm obsessed with taking some time out. I haven't taken time out for so long and COVID has made you have to. And so just to have some time to spend with my family, it's been amazing. What have you learned about yourself, do you think, during this COVID pandemic and guiding your business through it? That you have to be versatile and you have to learn new tricks. We're behind the the ball game probably in doing live chocolate classes, but that's now what we're trying to get together now, Zoom classes and so forth. We're about to start them with a couple of businesses that have requested them and see how they go. What's the biggest thing you've learned, do you think, in your whole business journey, your whole startup entrepreneurial journey? Be resilient and be kind to yourself. I'd love to be able to go back and see Rebecca in some of the hardest times and go, you're going to be okay. (laughs) You're going to be okay. It's all right. Would you do it all again, knowing what you've learned in the past 20 years, 18 years? Definitely, definitely would. And just finally, what advice would you give to those perhaps younger people or anyone who would love to try and do what you've done, try and pursue an idea? Do it because even if it doesn't make you, you know, tons of money, as that saying goes, if you do a job you love, you won't work a day in your life. And I can honestly say when I'm at my little harborside studio with the radio on, hand-tempering my chocolate, I really still feel pure joy every day. Rebecca Nights, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Build It, They'll Come. Oh, thank you, Helen. It's been so fun. I hope you enjoyed Build It, They'll Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. 
be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.